We stand because the Bible is God speaking to us with authority, inerrancy, clarity, and sufficiency for all that. Bible, you can turn in the Pew Bible to page 703. Follow and listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come with humbled hearts, realizing that apart from you, we have no claim, we have no hope, we have no salvation. And so we exalt the name of Jesus Christ, but we exalt too, Lord, the privilege. And we are honored and thankful to be called your people, to be called out of darkness into the light of your righteousness, into the light of your presence. So I pray as we are about to sit and listen to you, your word preach, you speaking to us, that we would listen as though we are in your presence. And if there's any here that are far from you, that are unsure, uncertain of their relationship with you, I pray that your word and your spirit would bring conviction and Lord, also an invitation, an invitation to humbly confess their need of you and to humbly receive that which only you can a right thing in your sight. And so, Lord, we listen with expectant, with humble, and with obedient hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are concluding our four-week series on identity theft in which we have exposed the different lies that the devil uses to rob us, or at least try to rob us, of our identity in Jesus Christ. And so far throughout this series, we have learned that we are pickpocketed by the past when we believe the lie, I am what I have been through. Uh, We also learned that we are mugged by the mirror when we believe the lie that I am what I look like, And last Sunday, we uh, 
learn that we are robbed by riches when we believe the lie that I am what I have or I am what I possess. And so this morning, we're going to look at another lie that the devil seeks to use to rob us of our identity in Christ. And if you believe this lie, if you buy into this lie, you will find yourself conned by career. And so we need to be aware of this lie that the devil uses against us to try to rob us of our identity. Beware of the lie. And you'll notice this in your notes if you want to take notes or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. Beware of the lie that I am what I do. I am what I do. An easy way to know if you are being conned by this lie is to consider how you introduce yourself. When someone asks, hey, who are you? What do you say? What's your first instinct to tell them? Most of us respond with answers that kind of describe what we do in life. Such as, yeah, I'm a carpenter or a welder or a computer program or a nurse or a stay-at-home mom or an accountant or an office administrator and the list goes on and on. But that's what you do. That's not who you are. Now, it's important that we don't mix up the do and the who, though, which we often do. And at the same time, I don't want you to think that, hey, what I do is not important because what you do is important. After all, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul writes, he says, hey, we are God's handiwork. We're his workmanship, we're his masterpieces, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what we do in life here on this earth is important. We were created in Christ to do, to do good works. But what we do should be the result of who we are are in Jesus Christ. What we do doesn't define who we are. And yet, we live in a culture in which there are over 50% of people say they get a sense of identity from their jobs, from their careers, from what they do. And this can cause problems, as one mom writes in an article, and I quote, she writes, the toughest title I have ever had was as a stay-at-home mom. I am not great with kids, but I knew it was what I was called to do in that season. There was no pay, no sleep, and little thanks. It drove me to my knees daily asking God for help. After almost 11 years as a stay-at-home mom, all my kids were finally in school, and I tried to get a Christmas job. In interview after interview, the reaction was clear. My experience as a stay-at-home mom was worthless by corporate standards. If you've ever been rejected for a job, you know how easily self-doubt can sneak in when we confuse who we are for what we do. So if you're getting conned by career, if you're tempted to buy into this lie that Satan uses, then I want to encourage you here this morning to find your identity not in what you do, but in who you are in Christ Jesus. And what Peter writes here in 1 Peter chapter 2 is foundational 
for finding and understanding your identity in Christ. And I pray that God's Spirit will use the truth of His Word here in this passage to to set you free, if you will, from the lies that are being used to rob you of your identity in Christ. And so what I want us to do is unpack the truths that are here in this passage in 2 Peter, I mean 1 Peter chapter 2. And there's five of them that I want us to identify, that I want us to embrace, and hopefully God will use in your heart here this morning. And their very first truth about my identity in Christ is this. My identity in Christ starts with Christ. Rather obvious, but it's powerful and it's needed. It starts with Christ, and it is also with His church. I love how Peter starts verse 4, how it begins. Peter writes, coming to him. Coming to who? Coming to Jesus. And what's interesting is this phrase is not a command to us. Rather, Peter is inviting us to come to Jesus. He's not commanding us to. And so what we have here in the very first phrase of this verse is God's invitation to you. When you come to Jesus, God's invitation is, hey, come to my son. And when you do, I will give you a new and incredible identity in Christ and in his church. And so the obvious question that we all ought to be asking ourselves now is, have I come to Christ? Because only Jesus can save you from your sins. Only Jesus can truly satisfy your heart. Only Jesus can give you purpose in life. And once you are truly His, your identity is no longer defined. What you have been through, your past, or what you look like, or what you have, or even what you do. Your identity is now in Christ and with His church, the body of Christ. You say, well, what does all this mean? It means when you come to Jesus, you come, Peter says, first of all, you come to a living stone in Christ. But you don't just come to a living stone. Peter also tells us that you actually become as a living stone in his church, in the body of Christ. Notice verse 4. Peter writes, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now, living stone, that somewhat sounds a little strange to our ears because it's an oxymoron. It's a seeming contradiction in terms, and you know the old cliche, such as jumbo shrimp and freezer burn or pretty ugly. But this paradox is meant to grab your attention. Stones are dead. They're without life. But Jesus is alive from the dead. That's the implication that Peter's using here. And those who come to Jesus are made alive spiritually. Sometimes we refer to something as being stone dead. But Jesus is the living stone who is pulsating with life and power. Jesus is the author of life and he's able to impart to you spiritual life when we believe in him for our salvation. Jesus is a rock we can anchor our lives to, a rock we can build our lives on, a rock we can rest our hope on, a rock we can base our identity on. In fact, that's why Prudential uses the rock of Gibraltar as their logo. 
They want to portray a company of strength and stability and financial expertise that has stood the test of time. They want you to put your financial hope in them. But Jesus is the, quote, rock of ages, which means long before Dwayne Johnson started calling himself the rock, Jesus was already the rock. He is the living stone. So your identity starts with Christ. And in this particular case, Peter identifies him as the living stone. That's the one we come to. And he imparts life to us, living stone. But our identity is not just with Christ only. It is also with his church as living stones. And you see this in verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, as living stones, we are a spiritual house, and we are being built up by God himself. Now, don't miss this. The church is not a building. That's obvious. The church is God's people who have come to Jesus Christ by faith. We may meet in a church building like this we are in now. We may even meet in homes like we do in our grow groups. But Peter pictures God's people as God's house in which each member is a living stone being fitted and built upon Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. Peter wants us to see something here. He wants us to see that we're not just isolated, scattered stones across a field. Rather, we are collectively being built up as a great spiritual house. And then Peter adds something else. He says, as these living stones who are being built up together, he says, we are a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, I wish we had time to explore this because that is an amazing statement that Peter makes about us here this morning. Well, let me just briefly explain it this way. What this means is we are not merely the passive building where God dwells. We are also the active participants in worship to God Almighty. And not just any kind of participants. We are the priests of this new spiritual house. And our function as priests is to draw near to God with spiritual sacrifices. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, you've got to go to the Old Testament. And if you, some of you may remember, in the Old Testament, the priests are the ones who brought the sacrifices into the tabernacle and presented them to God. But now, that tabernacle is replaced by the church. But the church is not a building. The church is who? It's the people. It's you. It's us. And the atoning altar is replaced by Jesus Christ and His shed blood. And priests are replaced by believers in Jesus Christ. We can say it this way. You are now part of a grand worship team called the Holy Priesthood. 
This means that you have access to God through Jesus Christ. You don't take your sacrifice to the priest and watch while he takes it to the altar and presents it to God. You are called by God to actually approach his throne and present your own sacrifices in personal and corporate worship. So, our identity then, as a holy priesthood, is to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And we can only do that through Jesus Christ. Which brings us back full circle to the living stone. Everything hangs on our coming to the Lord. Have you come to Him in faith? And yes, we come once for salvation, but after that, we continue to come to Him. We come to Him daily for grace and power and strength and identity in Jesus Christ. And so first and foremost, my identity in Christ starts with Christ as the living stone. But it is also with His church as living stones who are being built up together. This means you will never, never, never ultimately find your identity in Christ apart from also being identified with His church. Listen, you can't just identify with the head without also being identified with the body. Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body. And so we identify with Christ, the head, but we come together and we identify with his local body, the church. And so if you're struggling to find your identity, man, I come to Christ, but you're hit and miss on church. You're not really part of the church. You're not infused in the church. That's probably a good indication of why you struggle at times with your identity. Because it's not just Christ, it's also his body. It's his church. He died for it. He loves it. It's important to him. And it ought to be important to us. Number two, my identity in Christ then creates a distinction. As I read verses 6 through 8, see if you can hear the distinction that Peter is making between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Listen to it. Look at it, it's there in your notes or in your Bibles. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. He's talking about Christ now. Elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Isn't that glorious? Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Jesus is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone, referring to Christ again, which the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now, my identity in Christ, here's the deal, folks. It creates a distinction in this world. Or at least it should. For example, if you're into dogs, typically you're not into cats. And all the dog lovers say amen to that, right? Distinct. Uh, If you love the Chiefs, you hate the Raiders. You also hate the Broncos. Distinct. 
If you cheer for the K-State Wildcats, you're really not a fan of the, of the Jayhawks. And if you're a Jayhawk fan, you're, you really you don't cheer for K-State Wildcats. Why? You're distinct. And you get the idea here. And Peter says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be distinct from those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Here's the distinction now that Christ creates when we come to Him in faith. Notice it. Number one, Christ is the cornerstone for believers in Christ. You say, what's a cornerstone? Well, it's the first stone normally to be laid, and it provides the foundation and the lines for a building as all the other stones follow its lines. And if the cornerstone is not perfectly square and perfectly laid, all the other stones will be off in the building, and the entire building will be flawed. If you don't believe me, just after church, go talk to Aaron Wayne on this. He'll, he'll g- give you the lowdown about it. All right? But Jesus, Peter says, is the perfect cornerstone. He was chosen by God, and he is precious to God. Here's the point. If you accept Jesus as your cornerstone in your life, you will not be disappointed. Why? Because this living stone will not prove faulty. If you build your life on this living stone, your life will not crumble in the storms of life. If you hide behind this living stone, you will be safe. If you stand on the truth of this living stone, you will not be ashamed. If you join with others in the spiritual house being built up on this living stone, you will never be destroyed. Then, in the first part of verse 7, Peter says, Therefore, In other words, if this is true about the living stone, the chief cornerstone, if this is true, then, therefore, to you who believe, he or Jesus is what? He's precious to you. Just as Jesus is precious to his heavenly Father. In other words, if you believe on this living stone, if you trust Jesus and base your identity on him, then he is precious because you will never be disappointed in him or ashamed of him. He's precious to you. Jesus will never let you down. So when we come to Christ, when we believe in him, Christ becomes our cornerstone in our life, our foundation, in which we build our life upon, in which we, it's, it's how we live life. This cornerstone determines all of that. So that's true for believers, but what is also true, and this is where the distinction is, Christ is the stumbling stone for unbelievers. Peter says in verse 7, And when he writes here in verse 7, he's actually quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22. Look at it. But to those who are disobedient, which is also translated disbelieve. So the disobedient are those who disbelieve. In other words, they don't believe in Christ. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now what does all this mean? Peter's simply saying that not believing in Jesus is like rejecting the stone that God has laid as the cornerstone. In other words, God sends Jesus to be the cornerstone in the building of his church, but some people do not trust him. Some people do not believe in him. 
And in not believing in Him, they actually reject Him. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. The same stone that saves some causes others to stumble. That's why Peter goes on to say in verse 8, which now he's quoting from another Old Testament passage in Isaiah, in a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Francis Wright Bear wrote, Christ is too great to be neglected or avoided. For his followers, he becomes the foundation of which all life rests. Where he is rejected, there is and can only be chaos and anarchy. Look around you is what we see every day in our country and around the world. And so when you look around you, none of that should really be surprising to us as believers. Because what we see is being played out before our eyes is true to God's word right here. The bottom line is you can't be neutral about Jesus. As the living stone, he will either save you or he will crush you. And there's no third choice. And so again, I ask, what is Jesus to you? Is he your cornerstone or is he still a stumbling stone in your life? But get this. When you come to Jesus, when you make Jesus the cornerstone in your life, when you find your identity in Christ and his church, then get ready because of this third truth, and it's phenomenal. Look at it here. My identity in Christ comes with privileges. Privileges. It comes with privileges. And so I ask, do you know your privileged identity in Christ? Now, I also recognize that right now in our culture, it's not politically correct to identify your privileges. Privileges are being downplayed in our culture right now. In fact, if you have privileges and you say anything about them, you're now called a racist of some sort. But Peter comes to us and he says, listen, in Christ you have privileges and it's nothing to be ashamed about. So do you know your privileged identity in Christ? Are you living in the privileges of what Christ had made you to be? Look what Peter says in the first part of verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And the first two words of this verse, verse 9, are very important. Peter says, but you... That's intentional, because what Peter's doing is he's making a contrast, a very intentional, deliberate contrast between the unbelievers in verses 7 and 8 and the believers now here in verse 9. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then what Peter writes here in verse 9 is true of you. This is your privileged identity in Christ. What are they? Let me briefly go through them for you. Number one, a chosen generation. Sometimes that word generation is translated as people or race. And what makes my identity in Christ so significant is you are the chosen people of God. 
What gives us our ultimate identity in Christ is not our color, it's not our culture, it's not our age. It is our chosenness. Out from all the colors and cultures and generations, we, you, have been chosen by God. And not because you belong to any age group or any culture or any race. So your privileged identity is that you are what? That was weak. You are what? Chosen. Let's say it again. You are what? Chosen. Think about it. God chose you. I don't know why. Why would God choose you? What did you do to get chosen by God? What did I do to get chosen by God? I didn't do anything. There was nothing in me. I certainly didn't earn it. I did not meet any conditions to get it. It happened before I was born. That blows me away. So I stand in awe of it, and I accept it with joy and thanksgiving, right? In fact, it's interesting, you go to the Old Testament, we know from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, that God did not choose Israel because they were such a great people. Oh no, they were not great in any shape, fashion, or form. But simply because He loved them. And in the same way, God has chosen you purely because of His love and grace bestowed upon you. Let that just blow you away. That's part of your privileged identity in Christ and in His church. You are chosen. But it gets better. Number two, a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood, but today God's people are a priesthood. This means you have the privilege of coming into the presence of God anytime. You don't need another human priest as your mediator and notice peter says we are a royal priesthood earlier before he used the word holy to describe priesthood now he uses this word royal in the old testament priests get this this is interesting in the old testament priests were not associated with royalty distinct but we Oh, now we're the children of the king. We are priests who belong to royalty. We are priests who belong to King Jesus, and therefore we share in Jesus' sovereign reign and rule. Listen, royal blood covers you. It redeems you. It adopts you and gives you your identity in Christ. You are a royal priesthood. That's part of your privileged identity. Number two, Peter says, a holy nation. Now, holy simply means to be set apart. And that's exactly what God does with us when we come to the Lord. We are set apart from other people of the world. We are consecrated to God, which again makes us unique and distinct. This means we are identified as citizens of a holy nation with passionate allegiance to our heavenly king above all. And since God is holy, we are holy. 
You are identified by your new character. And your new character, God says, is holiness. Why? Because we share in the divine nature of God himself. And God's divine nature is all about holiness. Our citizenship. A lot of talk going on about citizenship. But our citizenship as Christ followers, our true citizenship is in heaven because we are now part of God's holy nation. That's our true citizenship. That's part of our true identity, our privileged identity. Number four and last, a special people. A special people for God's own possession. Just think of the value of something owned by God. What incredible worth that bestows on us. You are chosen by God and set apart for God, and, that effect, and the effect of that is that God makes you his own special possession. And the price that God paid for you was incredibly high. It was the blood of Jesus Christ, and now you belong to him. You say, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that God puts us behind a glass case only to bring us out for show and tell. No, 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 no. Listen, it means you are someone God desires. Get this. Listen to me. You are someone that God desires to actually have a relationship with, and he aims to spend eternity with. Yeah, you. In Christ, God aims. That's his desire with you. I want to have a relationship with you, and I want you to spend eternity with me, God says. Mind-boggling. It means what God says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, where he says, I will dwell in them and walk among them, speaking of the people of God. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And when God uses that term, my people, it's the idea, my special possession. We are his because he bought us. He redeemed us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I am his. I'm his special possession. That's significant. Because think about it, you and I here, we all have something that's special to us that we own. Right? Some of you keep it in a little drawer. Some of you keep it on top of your dresser. Maybe it has four wheels right now. Maybe only two wheels. I don't care. Maybe it hangs in your closet. Maybe it's something a little more tangible than that. But we all have something that we consider special, and it's ours. Listen, you are way more special than any of that to God. You are his special possession as his own people. You have some amazing privileges in your identity in Christ. You are chosen by God. You have access to God. You are set apart by God and you belong to God. But those privileges, folks, listen to me, have a purpose in this life. My identity in Christ, number four, here's the fourth truth, gives me purpose. And Paul tells us that purpose in the last part of verse 9. Look at it. He says, that. Some of your translations say, so that. In other words, in light of all that's happened, so that. Here's your identity. So that you may proclaim the praises or excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have this privileged identity not so we can sit, sit soak, and sour. 
not to glory in our identity as God's chosen people, nor to merely sit back in life and wait for the next bus to heaven. That's not our purpose in life. No, we have been redeemed by God for a purpose, and that purpose is, notice this, it is to proclaim the greatness and glories of God in Jesus Christ. This word proclaim is exactly what you think it means. It means to advertise, to publish, to make widely known. And the opposite of proclaim is to keep silent. Or to be silent. You ever think about our God in this way? Our God is a communicating God. He sent us His prophets and apostles. He gave us His Word. He sent us His Son, all for the purpose to communicate with us. And when we become true children of God, we too will communicate the greatness and glories of God in Jesus Christ. And so your purpose in Christ, on this, in this life, on this earth, is right here identified for you. If you've ever wondered, why am I here? What's my purpose? Here it is. is to proclaim Christ. It's that simple. Our purpose is to tell the world that Christ has the power to accomplish the wonderful work of redemption. And here's what that means for you. Here's how that can happen in your life. So, get this. Whatever your career may be, I don't care if you're this or you're that. If you're a stay-at-home mom, or you go to the office, or you go to a warehouse, or whatever you do, it doesn't matter in the sense that your purpose is still the same regardless of what your career is. And that is to proclaim the greatness and glories of God in Jesus Christ. And so, I say to you, pursue a career. Pursue a career as God leads you. Go to college and prepare for a career as God leads. But don't get conned by it. Don't get conned by career in wrapping your identity in that career and thinking that's my identity and that's the purpose I'm here on earth. No. Your career is not what gives you your purpose in life. Your identity in Christ is what gives you purpose in life. And that purpose is to proclaim Christ through whatever your career is, whatever career God gives you, whatever job God gives you, whatever He calls you to do, that. Do it with service unto the Lord, yes. So do it in all that you can, but the reason you're doing that is to proclaim the glories and greatness of God in Christ. Does that make sense? This is why God called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So that you can proclaim how awesome that is in your life. 
I was once living in darkness, and I didn't have a clue. And all of a sudden, God opened my life eyes. He intervened in my life, made me aware of my sin and my need for Jesus Christ, and literally changed my life. And I'm here to share that with you. My God is awesome, and my Christ is phenomenal. That's my purpose in life. But don't miss the last truth about my identity in Christ. It is fully secure. Whoa! My identity in Christ is fully secure. Look what Peter says about it in verse 10. Who once were not a people. That's kind of weird. That's a little odd, strange sounding. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Oh, there it is. That is, oh, that is so great. Man, hold on to that. Wrap your heart around that. Embrace that right there. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That phrase, who once were not a people. Folks, listen, that summarizes my life. That summarizes your life before you came to Christ. Before our salvation, we can only be identified as no people. Oh yeah, I'm living life and I think I'm somebody, but according to God, I'm nobody. I'm no people in the sense that I'm not with Christ. I'm not in Christ, I'm not part of His chosen nation. This means we were not part of God's family. We were not part of God's spiritual house. We were not part of God's priesthood. We were not part of God's holy nation. We were not part of God's chosen generation. But because of God, and because of nothing in us, but because of His grace in our lives, we are now the what? The people of God. That phrase, I'm telling you, wrap your mind around that. What that means is we belong to Him and we are acknowledged by Him as His sons and daughters. That is our position before God and nothing can wipe that out. Nothing can change that. Nothing can alter that. We are the people of God in Christ. This world cannot touch you in that regard. Satan cannot touch you. Oh yes, you can believe some of the lies that he says, that he tells us to try to rob us to not live out our identity as the people of God. And that's what Satan tries to do. But don't believe his lies. Your identity, get this, is firmly secure in Christ. You are the people of God who have obtained mercy and no one can steal your identity in Christ. And so I say to you on this Thanksgiving weekend, give Thanks for your identity in Christ, and then live out your purpose in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. You are a child of the King, Jesus. You are beloved by God Himself. That is your identity in Christ. I want to close with a video. It's a testimony of a young lady. And I think you will connect with it. I think you will identify with her. And I pray that her words confirm and solidify in your heart the truth of Jesus Christ that we have unpacked here in 1 Peter. After the video, we'll close out in prayer and have just a time of response.